Welcome again to the Money Mentors Podcast. My name is Nathan Lear. I'm with my colleague, Glenn Fairburn. Uh, today, we are brought to you, as always, uh, once again, by Hewison Private Wealth. Hewison Private Wealth is one of Australia's leading independent wealth management firms. Uh, today, Glenn and I are having a discussion around what is called uh, gearing or borrowing to invest. Um, gearing or borrowing to invest is a, is a way that you can... Um, borrow money from generally a bank to try and bring forward your uh, your wealth creation strategy uh, via the, the benefit of compound interest. Um, obviously, with, with borrowing to invest, there is benefits, but there is also risk. So we think that it's really important that you uh, understand those risks. Um, and, and we'll just stress, it is general advice only, and we haven't considered the individual needs of the, of the listeners. So if you are considering undertaking a gearing strategy, we would strongly recommend that you do seek personal advice, which is uh, relevant to your personal situation. Um, we hope you enjoy the podcast today. And look, each each week, Glenn and I uh, look to bring a topic to you that will improve uh, financial awareness to our listeners. Um, you know, we hope to cover a, a wide range of topics um, on on a diverse, you know, a diverse um field of, of, of different things so look we, we encourage you to you know, have a have a scroll through our previous um, episodes and and look for a topic that's of interest to you and um, we hope you enjoy the podcast welcome everyone to this week's podcast um, quite often, people are always interested in how they can get started with investment and quite often, they may not have the cash in their account to whether it's shut up a ship, portfolio or purchase a property. Um, and look, a very common strategy that we recommend to clients and I suppose a lot of people utilize out there to get their wealth accumulation strategy started is borrowing to invest. Now, that can um, generally be, I suppose, defined or is more commonly known and out there as negative gearing. Uh, I suppose in very simplistic terms, borrowing to invest basically involves um, going to the bank uh, and using their money or other people's money to help yourself set up a long-term wealth accumulation plan. Um, and I suppose negative gearing in itself, just to define that, basically means that the interest cost that you incur as a result of borrowing the funds for investment is greater than the income. So that, that's where that negative geared aspect comes into it. Um, so I suppose, Nathan, what we were keen to have a discussion about today was what are the benefits of, of that strategy? What sort of assets can you look at purchasing when you are borrowing for investment? And also the various options and even the risks and, and also work through a case study. So perhaps we'll just get started as to you know why should you, I suppose, take the plunge and perhaps um, go to a bank and borrow money for investment purposes? Yeah, sure, Glenn. So we'll start with uh, a few of the benefits. I think the, the key or the main benefit is to in, invest more sooner. So use, as you said earlier, somebody else's money, the bank generally, uh, you use that money to invest a lot sooner than, than otherwise that you could because otherwise you might need to save up that money. So you're, you're bringing this forward. And uh, I suppose that's... that's um if you look at the property market in the last, you know, ten years or so, where you've had such significant growth, um, I suppose if you're in a position ten years ago, we thought, oh, I'm just going to keep saving and saving and saving until I've got all the cash to buy that property. You might think that's a good strategy, but I suppose 
by borrowing to purchase that property, effectively you're bringing forward, as you were saying, you're bringing forward that investment horizon and therefore benefiting from that growth over a long period of time. Yeah, it's all about the return and, and, and generally speaking, in investments, if you invest for a long enough period, they'll give you a positive return. So the sooner you get into it the, the, and start investing, the sooner you're going to see the benefits of that, that, that return and yeah, the compounding effect. And, and that's where I suppose a lot of clients ask, oh, is it a good time to invest? And our, our probably most popular answer to that would be just, as, as I think you said in a, in a previous podcast, the best time to invest is now, isn't yeah, it? Now, always don't. As long as you've got a, an appropriate plan in place and you know, debt obviously... We're going to talk about the the risks in a little bit more detail. Obviously, gearing uh, or borrowing to invest carries risk, so that needs to be considered within your overall strategy as well. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I suppose as far as benefits go, um, the overwhelming benefit, as you were saying earlier, was the ability to invest now and also benefit from that power of compounding returns. And I mean, essentially what compounding returns is, is investing today, earning interest so that at the end of the year, you've got a larger lump sum invested that therefore earns more interest. Um, and if you look at a very simplistic, I suppose, scenario... Before you go through the, the harsh or the, the, the numbers and the example, I was just going to make the point, I think a, an understated benefit of borrowing to invest is the, the diversification because it, it, it allows you to have more scale to invest in other assets. So let's say you saved up a sum of money, you might only have an opportunity to buy, I don't know, a handful of investments, depending on what we're talking about. But if you if you borrow, you're going to then have much more scale and diversification. So you can, you know, which diversification can obviously be, be your friend. It can help you. If you only invest in one asset or a couple of assets, um, you can be more exposed. And I suppose that can apply to shares and property, can't it? Like, yeah, I think so, both. Yeah, like if, you, if you've got... Yeah. You know, let's just say it's $100,000 um, by investing that on its own effectively, you're, you're probably limited with how many investments you mm. do select. Whereas as you were saying, if you, if you add double some it. Bo- borrowing to yeah. it, add some leverage, there's the capacity to maybe have a property and maybe more shares. So I think that's a yeah. really good point that although borrowing to invest, you could argue is a little bit up the risk scale as far as a wealth accumulation strategy arguably it can be used to reduce your investment risk as well because you can yeah. get more diversification. Yeah, yeah. people always say, you know, borrowing is risky and I mean, yes, I guess in isolation that comment is right but I think we just spoke about a, a really good example where sometimes it can reduce that, that risk in a way in terms of diversification and probably the other, another tax benefit, sorry, another benefit is the taxation benefits. We all know uh, that the interest expense is deductible. Um, so if it is, if it is negative, as you said earlier, negatively geared, where the interest costs are higher than the investment income, that difference is uh, is a tax deduction. So and that just helps with the funding of the interest, doesn't it? Yeah, it helps. I mean, obviously, at the end of the year, you'll get a you'll get a tax refund, perhaps, or or a tax benefit, which uh, in a way will help with the the interest costs. So we always say, don't let the the tax be the primary driver. Uh, always, the investment needs to stack up. Uh, but that's definitely an, another benefit, isn't it? The, the tax. Oh, no, no doubt. And I think, to be honest, that's where a lot of people are, are probably motivated to look at borrowing to invest or, as you were saying, negatively gear because of the tax benefit. But you also have to bear in mind that the reason you're getting a tax deduction because you are making a cash flow loss. Yeah, you've got to make that loss up somewhere. That's right. So it's all, all good and well mm. getting a tax benefit, but you've got to make sure, as you were saying, that the underlying investment stacks up because the reason you borrow to invest is not to get a tax benefit. It's to ensure that or to hope that the growth in that asset 
is larger than the loan that you have to repay in the end because that loan is still owed to the bank at some stage in the future. Yeah, definitely. You want to... Yeah, we always say it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a loss you're making. It's a cash flow loss. So, yeah, you definitely need to see the benefits of that at some generally from, from capital growth. Definitely. And I suppose just on that point, um, not so much a challenge, but the reality is in the current low interest rate environment that the whole negative geared aspect of, of this strategy probably is non-existent, isn't it? Because quite moment. often, mm. whether if you're borrowing to invest in shares, um, the dividends that you're receiving might even be higher than the interest. So it could be either neutrally geared, where the income you're receiving is the same as your interest cost, or even positively geared, where the income you're receiving is higher than your interest cost. So I think you yeah. can't always rely on just getting that tax benefit because although historically that has been the case, it's probably not like that right now and, and who knows whether it'll be like that in the future. I think it depends what, what asset you're investing in. Shares, definitely there's, there's a lot of blue chips that are yielding over, over that four or five interest rate four uh, or five percent which is which is the current interest rates but uh like we've spoken about residential property a few times on this podcast and and uh, if you buy a a residence for example you're probably very lucky in melbourne and sydney to get uh, a four or five percent interest rate so uh, sorry four or five percent um rental return so it probably wouldn't cover the interest so that might be negatively geared so i think it largely comes down to the, the asset that you're investing in yeah and, and i think just on that point with regards to um, servicing the interest with the income that you're receiving from your investment. I'll, I'll be keen to have a further chat about that before and as to how you can manage that and just be aware of the potential risks. Um, as, as I was saying earlier, I think when you look at the overall benefits, the reason why people borrow to invest is to put themselves in a position where potentially the value of the investment that they purchase over a long period of time increases to a point where it's obviously greater than the loan that you owe to the bank. Um, and I, I just did a very, very simple uh, back of the envelope calculation uh, before the podcast. And essentially, just in, in, in example number one, if you assume that you've got $100,000 and you invest that uh, over a 10-year period at, at a rate of return of 10%, so I suppose the average return over a long period of time that you'd get from shares and property, I think that's a fairly reasonable yeah, assumption fair. to use. Um, at the end of 10 years, assuming that you reinvest all the income and, and, and the growth, um, you'll be left with around $260,000. So that's a pretty good return. You know, just through the, the power of compounding, you, you've more than doubled your money over that 10-year period. However, just to, I suppose, relate that back to today's topic um, where we're using leverage or, or adding some borrowed funds... Um, if we still use that example where you've got $100,000, but let's just say you go to the bank and you borrow another $100,000 and if we assume the interest rate's 5%, but still keep that 10% um, return over that period of time, that portfolio in 10 years' time is worth 440000 So even when you repay um, the $100,000 loan to the bank, you're still about $100,000 better off. And the risk, I suppose, within your investment strategy probably hasn't changed that much. And as we were saying earlier, potentially because your portfolio is larger, you may even have greater diversification. But that's just a very simple, I suppose, example as to what the power of borrowing or, or, or more commonly referred to as leverage can have on the growth of your asset base. Um, so it can magnify those returns over a long period of time and potentially put you in a position where you're better off compared to if you just invested the cash on its own. Yeah, I think those examples are, are really powerful and they, they show you that the the benefit, the, the compounding benefit, and it all 
largely hinges on the uh, the return estimate that you put oh, into definitely. the numbers. Absolutely. I think sometimes where you know, people need to just be careful, I'll, I'll say with those projections, is that a, 10, a 10% every year in a projection is not really reality. We, we all know what markets do and um, one year it might be um, a 20% positive return and the next year it might be negative 10. And, and you know, so the, the sequencing of the, the, the returns can really, can really throw it out. And that's where I think a lot of people might adopt a, a gearing strategy and a year or two into it, not be getting, they might have um, did, done some projections on a, on a 10% return, but for whatever reason, the time they invested, they might've had a, a bad year or two and they kind of, they lose, because we all know it amplifies, we'll talk, talk about the risks in a moment. We all know that it amplifies gains and amplifies losses. So they might have a few bad years and then be a bit scared. So I think, I think the point I'm trying to make here is if you do, if you do put in place this strategy, uh, a gearing, a borrowing strategy, um, have a plan, but but stick to it and and, and be prepared for you know whatever different market conditions might throw out. Yeah, and I think the you know one of the key things through those examples is that what what comes out of it is that the longer you're invested, the better off you are. Um, now, and we've spoken numerous times about if you're investing in growth assets, so shares and property, yes, they are growth assets, but there's also the potential for those to reduce in value in the short term. So your time frame of investment, whether you're borrowing to invest or not, should be at least five to seven years. Um, and that's why I use that example of 10 years because one, it shows the benefit of the compounding returns. But I think at an absolute minimum, if you don't have that 10-year time horizon, it's probably not a strategy that you should be considering anyway. Um, but, I, but I also think just as you were saying, I mean, in year one and two, it might be a situation where you don't get the positive return straight away. Um, and, and one thing that we advise our clients and, and, and strongly encourage them to do when they're in a position potentially borrow to invest is make sure that you're never in a position to sell an asset because yes, you know, valuations can change if, you, if it's equities or property on a day-to-day basis um, and that can reduce in value in the short term but if you're not selling, you're not crystallizing that loss. So the key is that in particular when you're borrowing to invest, yes, you can potentially get income from those investments to suppose, assist you in, in meeting those interest repayments. But would you agree, Nathan, that you, although you, know, you want to be in a position where you should rely on the income and hopefully you're investing in assets that generate good cash flow, but you shouldn't always 100% rely on that because in particular, if you own an investment property, you might have a three, four-month period where you don't have a tenant. And if, you're, or if your personal cash flow is already really tight, mm. that can put you in a really difficult position, can't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, generally, you go into uh, a, a gearing strategy with the the view that there's capital capital appreciation. Uh, I mean, when, when you in, undertake these strategies, you, you probably wouldn't do it in a fixed income where you're not going to see any growth. Um, so, you, I think definitely that's the focus. And as you just said, then 100%, you want to make sure cash flow isn't tight because yeah, if income, well. Income's one thing, but also interest rates. I mean, that's yeah, the other. Exactly right. That's the other big risk. We, we all know at the moment they're at record lows, but as I'm sure our parents and some old, some some older people will tell us that in the in the, in the early nineties they're up over you know in the mid to high teens. Yeah. So if you're going out today, you know, potentially buying an investment property and borrowing, you know, several hundred thousand dollars, and you, you know, you're pretty happy. Interest rates are only four percent. Maybe you're getting a three percent rental return, a bit of a tax benefit. You're probably thinking, oh, this thing's just going to take care of itself, but as you were saying, you know, rates are at all-time lows. 
there is suggestion that maybe they'll start increasing and, and there's probably only way the only way is up at the moment so i think you've definitely that that's a good point you should not only factor in a potential period where you're not getting income but also factor in perhaps a couple of percentage increases in um, in interest rates as well because you know that sometimes worlds collide don't they and you know you could be in a position where it may not just be that you don't get any income from your assets but you could just be in between jobs um, and you know you're finding it really difficult to service the interest on your investment loan um, you're not getting any income the market's down and that's where you put yourself in a in a really bad position where you're a forced seller and that's that's essentially where you lose money and, and that's where the risk lays doesn't it yeah and in any income in any interest rate projections you do in, i mean you just did a forecast then i know you worked off five percent which you could argue is maybe a little bit yeah that's probably still conservative isn't it well depends like you could even go a bit higher um mm. six seven percent yeah definitely i mean five percent is, is still pretty low um yeah I agree. And, and we're not saying interest rates are i mean we don't really know i don't necessarily think they're going to spike up immediately but a 10-year period is a long time and who knows interest rates where, where they could go so you might even want to be a bit more conservative and work off a seven percent interest rate um the other point around servicing servicing the the repayment interest repayments is also insurance i mean we've spoken about insurance a few times on this podcast but you probably would want to make sure that you have some insurance because if if the asset isn't if it's negatively geared and the asset isn't generating enough income to cover the loan interest and then you you as you said you well, you're in between jobs or if you get sick um that's where insurance would possibly help you to kind of keep making those interest repayments and not be a forced seller, which Definitely. is the worst thing. I think any strategy you go into, it's all good and well going in um, with all optimism and, and, and the positivity and the benefits. But like any strategy, you should also have that risk management um, strategy in place as well. As you were saying, I mean, great, great advice looking at your insurances. Um, that, that's a big part of that risk management factoring in increases in interest rates, mm. factoring in a period of time where you may not be getting income. These are all the things, you know, mm. we spent a little bit of time initially talking about all the benefits, yeah. but these are the things that really should go alongside that strategy as well, isn't it? Yeah, we don't want to sound negative when we say these things, but I think a good strategy has a contingency plan and, and you almost need to consider the worst case um, situations and have a plan around that. So, so, so once you've mm. got that sort of plan in place you, you've perhaps consulted an advisor and and you think that given your situation um, it, it's the right time now to start perhaps borrowing to invest um, you've got all the risk management in place um, I suppose as you were saying earlier the only two assets that you, you could effectively consider um, borrowing to invest in would be shares and property because they're really you know in the traditional sense the only two asset classes that grow over a long period of time um, so when you're looking at those two asset classes, I know a few podcasts back, we looked at the pros and cons of each of those asset classes, but when it relates to borrowing to invest, perhaps we can just spend a little bit of time looking at, I suppose, the pros and cons in this context, um, perhaps just starting with shares. I mean, what, what's the advantage of borrowing to buy a share portfolio, for example? I think, well, I think the, the characteristics of borrowing to invest are the same, aren't they? regardless of the asset, yeah. so property or shares, but did you just want to hone into well, specifically shares? So I suppose I'll, what I was thinking of with, with shares is that I suppose an, an advantage of looking at that asset class... Diversification. Diversification. Probably a big one, and starting it? with a smaller amount. Yeah, I mean, true. The, the scary thing, 
I suppose when you're looking at buying an investment property, and perhaps people are more comfortable borrowing a larger amount when they when they've got bricks and mortar, but I suppose it can be a little bit intimidating if you want to start this strategy that with property you have to start it in a big way, like and it might be you know half a million dollars to to get the strategy off the ground. Whereas with a share portfolio, you could start it with twenty thousand dollars, fifty thousand dollars. You could dip your toe in the water, can't you, and and kind of get a feel for it, and then you can put a plan in place to periodically borrow more maybe over i know this is something i've done with with a couple of clients you might start with a certain amount and then kind of like a dollar cost averaging thing where you might every six months or every year you might put a little bit more into the market so i definitely i think that's a really good point you can you can start with a smaller amount and i think also as you were saying earlier from a diversification perspective one of the potential benefits with shares is that let's just say you're borrowing a hundred thousand dollars if you spread that across 10 stocks you then diversify not only your asset pool, but you're also diversifying your income sources as well mm. so that you don't have to worry if perhaps one company cuts their dividend or doesn't pay a dividend because you've got the other mm. nine companies that perhaps are still providing with the income to assist with funding that interest cost. Um, so I think it's just, although they're both great quality assets that you should probably have, including both of them in your asset allocation longer term, um, when you're looking at this sort of strategy, there are pros and cons of each. Um, I suppose looking at property, what, what would you say is you know, the main reason perhaps that people look at borrowing into property or one of the major benefits of, of that asset class compared to shares? I think we've often talked about the, the leverage benefits that property gives you. We, we know that uh, banks are, are willing to lend a quite high amount on, on property, you know, up to 90, 90%, 95% perhaps. So, you can really get that that um that power of the the compounding going for you because you can borrow a, a larger sum. So obviously there's pros and cons, and yeah. I guess the con is it's one asset, so you don't have the diversification. But perhaps you can borrow a much higher amount than you could than you could borrow to buy shares. I'd yeah. say that's probably one of the key benefits. Would I you? agree. Property? I, mean, I think the banks, as we've spoken about before, are just more comfortable lending against property. So. Although, as you were saying, you know, borrowing more money can be viewed as higher risk. Um, one of the advantages of of property is that you, you know, because the bank will lend you more money, you've got more money invested, and therefore, if you're earning the a similar return with a larger amount as you are with a lesser amount in dollar terms, you're better off investing more money, aren't you? So, I think that's the reason why people have done so well out of property. Because they might borrow a million dollars, and if they're getting a ten percent return, that's a hundred thousand dollars per annum, compared to, you know, dipping your toe in the water with a hundred thousand dollars share portfolio. And if, even if it's doing the same return, you're only getting ten thousand dollars per annum. So you know that leverage or that power of just investing a greater amount, or the benefit of of being able to to invest a greater amount because you are borrowing, that can be very powerful over a long period of time. And because shares are, are perceived as being more volatile because they're they're priced every second of every day. Um, the the banks are, are less willing to lend against them, and, and I think the maximum when you do like a margin loan type arrangement, the the maximum the the bank will will generally lend against a say a blue chip share would be about seventy five percent. Yeah, and look, that, that's probably a good segue into the next um, point that I was keen to talk about as to what are the options because we, we've sort of spoken about it in very generic terms um, so far, but. If if our listeners are out there looking at perhaps um, investigating this sort of strategy, how, how do they do it? Like, what, what's the what's the best way for them to borrow money? 
I think the the easiest way to do it and probably the most cost effective or the cheapest way in terms of interest rates is to uh, to borrow against equity that you may have generally against your home. So for example, if uh, if you've paid off a if you've paid off your home or paid off a fair chunk of your home, you may have equity that you could call upon. So you go to the bank and say I've got $100,000 worth of equity that I can call on. Uh, I want to borrow that $100,000 at a at a home loan interest rate of say four four and a half percent, and I want to go use that money and invest it in shares. I'd say that's probably yeah, it's probably the more cost effective way to do it, isn't it? Yeah, it's a common and easy way to, to do it because you might have your facility already set up, so you exactly. can easily go to the bank and say, hey, I just want you probably don't even have to contact the bank. You just just redraw it off your home loan. Yeah, absolutely, and I think also the other benefit of that approach is that as you were saying it enables you to use the equity that you've accumulated in your home and look you know owning your own home is a fantastic strategy and a fantastic um, way to get financial security but essentially it's a fairly lazy asset would you agree i mean it's it's unless you sell that property at some point in future and perhaps buy a lesser value property or you start renting it out um, it's not really a financial asset, so it's not going to generate income to perhaps help you get that financial independence or help you retire early. So one way to use that very powerful asset, as you were saying, is to use it as security to secure borrowings to really get that asset accumulation strategy going. So I think that's probably one of the more common ways um, to borrow to invest. Especially as you pay down your loan. And look, quite often at the start, you, you buy a property... You know, most people when they're starting out, they're going to borrow a fair chunk, like probably at least 80%. Yeah. So this is something that you might not do until you pay down your loan to a level where you think you've got enough of a buffer now. You, know, you don't want to, you know, as we've talked about the risks. So for example, you might you might have paid off 50, 50%. You, know, the, you might own 50%, the bank might own 50%. So th- that might be a level where you're comfortable. You're like, okay, now I'm comfortable to take on a bit of you know, risk and yeah, I think gearing. Leverage is great, but you don't want to be too over leveraged. This, as you were saying, I think it's prudent that um, you sort of perhaps consider it at a point where you've got yourself in a fairly comfortable position. You've paid down a fair bit of principal against your loan, um, and, and that may be five, six, even ten years down the track uh, once you've just purchased a property. Um, Nathan, you were mentioning earlier that one of the options um, when you're looking at borrowing to invest in shares is a margin loan. Um, perhaps just spend a little bit of time speaking about how that works and why would someone want to go um, and use that particular approach? Yeah, so I think if you if you didn't have a equity in in a property and you wanted to invest in shares, a margin loan is is definitely another way that you can do it. Um, you still you still would need to have a little bit of um, of equity, so you need to have a bit of capital or cash behind you to start that strategy off. Um, all the benefits are obviously the same, but just a couple of a couple of things to consider the uh, on blue chips the the usually the the margin lenders won't won't lend or the maximum they'll lend is 75%. So if you wanted to front if you wanted a $100,000 share portfolio you'd need at least $25,000 of uh, of equity or capital to kick it off and then the bank would um, kick in $75,000 so you'd have a $100,000 portfolio but then those ple- shares would be pledged as collateral. Now the important thing with a with a margin loan is that there can be margin calls. So if that $100,000 of shares that you invest falls and that loan to value ratio or LVR falls below 75%, the bank is gonna basically issue a margin call. So you're gonna either have to, you're gonna have to come up with more cash, um, which 
which you know is a consideration and it can work the other way for you as well so in a positive way if that share portfolio rises over a hundred thousand dollars your loan to value value ratio can actually fall below say that 75 percent level so you know you might have scope to increase it now we we're always generally pretty conservative where um we we probably wouldn't propose that you go right up to your maximum from day one you know, you always want a bit of a buffer there, don't you, in case the market moves against you? Yeah, I think that you know a key point there is just because the banks will lend you seventy five percent doesn't mean you have to borrow up to seventy five percent, and perhaps a, you know a more prudent level could be fifty percent or lower, um, because I suppose you know with with the share market it can be volatile, and, and this was something I suppose that during the GFC a lot of people got caught out with um, with margin loans because the market fell fifty percent. So if you were geared at 75%, it only takes a 25% fall to potentially get a margin call. Now, if you're tight for cash, the bank would just sell the assets and start repaying the loan. And, so, and the market fell 50%. So, exactly. I mean, even that's that example you mentioned then, you know, you could argue is conservative, like maybe a bit conservative. You know, the banks will end up to 75%, but I'll just, I'll just, I'll just borrow 50%. You know, I've got a 25% buffer there. But yeah, we all know equities during the GFC, an extreme event fell 50%. So a lot of people are getting margin calls and it can make them force sellers of those shares, quality shares at the worst time when they want to be buyers. Exactly. And I think that that's a that's a good point in that, as we were saying earlier, when you're borrowing to invest or even if you're not, you just never want to be forced into a corner where you're selling at the worst possible time. Um, and that, that's probably another benefit of property as well yeah. because because property isn't isn't as liquid like that. It's it's more of an, an illiquid asset. It's not priced every second of every day. You're probably not panicking about it if the, if the value is falling. You're not noticing it, are you? Unlike shares, you're watching yeah. it every day and potentially. The, but probably more the security that the the bank the bank isn't kind of looking at it and saying, "Oh, your property's fallen from a million dollars to nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars." You know, there's a margin call now. The, that's generally not how that. The banks work like that, is it? So it's less no. of a, an issue for property, isn't it? I, I think so. I mean, yeah. and that's probably one of the advantages is that with property, people tend to take a longer term view, don't they? And because they're not seeing the values every day, they're not getting spooked by market volatility. They're not having the banks valuing it every day, and therefore calling on more equity. So it can it can happen though. The banks can. Yeah. I mean, people up in you know the Perth or the mining towns of say Queensland may have had a, a property revalued. Um, and it's less than what they might have paid for it, and the bank can definitely say, "Hey, you know, give us give us more money, or or we're going to make you sell that property because we want our we want more security." That can happen with property as well, but it's probably less common. No, absolutely. So, look, I think what we're saying here really is that you know, borrowing for investment purposes is a very effective, I suppose, key point long term asset accumulation strategy. As we we're talking about, one of the key benefits is that it enables you to invest sooner. And the benefit of investing sooner is that you can, um, I suppose, leverage off the, the significant benefits of compounding returns over a long period of time. Um, you know, the options, uh, are shares and property, each of those have their benefits um, and disadvantages. It's, it's important to understand both of those and perhaps it's different stages of life that you look at either one or two of those asset classes. Um, and, and there's also understanding the risks because as we've been talking about, Nathan, I mean, there's there are a number of risks and that's not necessarily a bad thing but I think it's just a matter of understanding it and therefore putting strategies in place to hopefully mitigate the impacts of those risks. 
Yeah, I think they're all very important points you just mentioned. And just on, I know we've spoken about margin loans with, with equities. I thought I just would mention, I won't go into too much detail about it, but um, installment warrants for a lot of people probably maybe that aren't that into that into shares or investments might, may not have heard of installment warrants. But what, what, what they are is effectively a product where there's gearing inbuilt to a, a share investment. So basically there's a listed share that you can buy over a lot of um, Australian companies and there's inbuilt gearing into that share. So look, generally it could be around 50%. So you can basically with one trade go and buy an equity and and you know, double your exposure via this installment warrant product. And so is, is that, so? for example, if you've got $10,000, you've got the option of buying $10,000 in Commonwealth Bank shares, whereas with an installment warrant, you can still invest $10,000, but because it's a leveraged investment, you effectively got $20,000 of exposure. 100%. So if it's a 50% geared one, that's spot on and, and you get you know you get double the dividends, obviously, because you've got $20,000 uh, $20, worth of exposure in Commonwealth in, in that example. Obviously, there's borrowing costs, but the, the way that the products are usually designed is that the um, you don't receive the income, uh, but the income will go towards paying down the inbuilt loan. So it just gives you it just gives you that leverage impact, doesn't it? Yeah, and I, I think I mean obviously the structures across different installment warrants can be different, but I think one of the other benefits of installment warrants is that you don't get margin calls. Yes. Um, in particular, with some of the self-funding installments, where as you were saying, the income effectively services the interest and repays that loan over a, potentially a seven-year period. Um, if you're in a position where you can hold them over that period of time, there's no margin call. So it's just something a little bit different. Obviously, uh, quite a complex investment structure and product um, and, and one that you should definitely consult your advisor about. I suppose just just quickly, Nathan, the other benefit of installment warrants is you can potentially use them in your superannuation yeah, I was gonna say, as well. I was, gonna, I was waiting to say that point where it's a way to borrow in super. I mean, we all know you can borrow in super. It's a bit trickier, but uh, that, that's a, a quite an easy way to well, gain access. Well, you can buy them on the market, can't you? So it's really easy to get access to that. But once again, important to understand the risks um, because wherever there comes potential for great return, there's also the risk. And, and as I said earlier, once again, just to repeat, it's not necessarily a bad thing when you've got risk. You just need to understand it so that you're never in a position where you're forced to sell that asset at what could be a bad time. Um, so look, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Look, I hope everyone's found today's podcast informative. Once again, please consult your advisor if it, if it is a strategy that you're interested in pursuing. Um, until next time, we hope you enjoy the podcast. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to the Money Mentors podcast. We really hope you enjoyed the topic today. Um, we were brought to you by Hewlson Private Wealth. So please uh, check out Hewlson Private Wealth's website, um, which is www.hewlson.com.au. Um, please also look for Hewlson Private Wealth um, via the various social media channels, in particular uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, and Facebook. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, we really would love your feedback. So um, feel free to, to email us at uh, moneymentors at hewison.com.au. Um, also feel free to leave any feedback um, on, on iTunes on the podcast um, and also subscribe if you enjoy the content. And we look forward to having you next time. Thank you.